thank you for listening to Radio Radar, episode 36. This is the episode for Friday, February 5th. I'm your host, Ludwig Kitzman, U.S. Editor-in-Chief of GamesRadar.com, and I'm joined today by Maxwell McGee, another editor at GamesRadar.com. Well, howdy, Ludwig. Thanks for having me on the show. You work at GamesRadar.com, do you not? I do work at GamesRadar.com, Ludwig, as an editor. I'll be sure to check that out when I visit GamesRadar.com. Susan Arndt, Managing Editor of GamesRadar.com. Susan, I hear you work at GamesRadar.com. GamesRadar.com, Maxwell. GamesRadar.com. Ah, that's it. Yeah. And we also have Anthony John Agnello, Senior Social Editor. For ha, 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 money, ha, 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 money. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that, a, is that a ghost? Is there a ghost on the call right now? <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about cartoon Janine Melnitz, man. It was oh in God. there. It was in there, and I couldn't get it out. And all this talk about a fine, fine outlet like GamesRadar.com, mm. just, it just reinforced my, my love of her Lisa Loeb glasses. Now, Anthony, at GamesRadar.com, we do cover uh, modern and cool games, you know, really contemporary <laughs> stuff. And you promised me before the show started that we would be, be talking line. about that something, <laughs> you know, something modern, something hip, something cool, something brand new. And the game that you've been playing this week is... Dead or Alive 2 for the Dreamcast. Oh, How appropriate. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Dead or Alive 2. We okay. don't get to get those yeah. games anymore. In fairness, Dead or Alive 2 is really good. <laughs> so here's the That's funny. before they censored it. I, well, I ne- so this week, I, I am playing new games. There is a very new game that's only a couple of weeks old that I, I played to completion. But as tends to happen with the week, I like to balance my old with my new. And I've been checking things off my Dreamcast bucket list. Uh, and so this is like, you know, first was Dead or Alive 2, and next mm-hmm. is D2, the, the oh, hard game. Oh, yeah. Mm. Never, you got two meats. Never played it. Never played it. So excited. You're going to love and it, dude. I know. I'm just so pumped. It's going to be awesome. I love Kenji Ino. But I also love Tomonobu Itagaki for very different reasons. <laughs> and in, in anticipation of Dead or Alive Extreme 3, I wanted to get this part of the canon uh, out of the way. I, you know, I played Dead or Alive 2 like once in a dorm room 16 years ago. But I'd never really like sat down and played it. And so, Susan, you are 100% right. That game is so good and i mean even by like good contemporary standards i do not know why this game isn't played at like evo and stuff like that because it's just fast there is zero loading time every character feels very very distinct but it's like you know old street fighter 2 you can just sort of pick them up and automatically figure something out and feel like you know what you're doing it has the multi-tiered stages. It's just oh God, yeah. awesome. And like... Which are only now starting to show up in Tekken, right. Tekken 7. Yeah. For like 16 years after the fact. 16 years later, Tekken is finally catching up. Well, I mean, it's never been Tekken's thing. But, I mean, I, I think everything that you're saying now is still true to some degree. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of like Dead or Alive 5. I think Dead or Alive 3 is the one that's kind of a dud. Yeah, Dead uh, or Alive 4, I, you know, Dead or Alive 4. 4 is great. It, yeah, and it, it's it's very attractive, but I like, there there is a clarity in Dead or Alive 2 that is absent from a lot of modern fighting games, I think. Like, I fired this up, I turned it on, I pressed start, I picked a character, mm-hmm. and it was just like getting slapped in the face <laughs> by this excellent, excellent game. 
And, you know, I played through the arcade campaign a couple of times with a couple of different characters, and two thoughts sort of loomed large. The first was it is amazing to play this game and realize that only about 40 to 50 people made it. Like, Mm. very, very small team. And, like, a lot of that was testers and, like, people at Tecmo not on Team Ninja just providing some last-minute backup to polish it. Like, very small team. The other thing is I don't know how Dead or Alive became the booby game that it is in our heads. I don't know how Dead... Because Walk me through it. Walk me through well, it. Well, okay. From, from the very first Dead or Alive, there was a meter that you could adjust to change how much the breasts bounce. Right. And so I, I know that that's real. Yeah. And so I, tes- I tested it in two. And, like, first of all, th- th- out of the ten characters in the game, only four of them are, yeah. are women. Which was very like I was like where are where is everybody? This is the thing. Where is Christy? Damn it! If you play Dead or Alive, like the original one, it's yeah the boobs are out of control. If you want, yeah, it's wild. Right, Dead or Alive Two still has bounce, but it's 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 if you never knew that first one existed, you would not come away thinking of it as the booby game. Yeah, because it's just an excellent fighting game. Just a great fighting game. I, I definitely, like, I, you know, I turned that age thing up to 99. I'm, I, I, I knew what I was getting into. But, like, <laughs> even then, nothing really happened. And all of their outfits, like, you know, I was sitting there looking and, like, you know, uh, Hitomi's, uh, not Hitomi, uh, Kasumi. Yeah, like, Kasumi's Kasumi, just wearing a leotard under that, like, you know, flowy piece of cloth. But it's, like, not even close to anything as lascivious even in, like, Street Fighter Alpha 3, which was a few years old at that point. And I was just sitting there, I was like, wow, it is a big leap from this game to two years later, Dead or Alive Extreme Beach Volleyball. Like, it was, it was strange to see that game... To, to see that, like, part of the evolutionary train. But anyway, if anybody is out there and they're like, man, I don't want to play Street Fighter V. That's the cool fighting game that everybody's playing. Or Mortal Kombat XL, which is coming out in March. You don't want anything of that. You want you want your, your fighters to be obscure and dated, but still amazing. Go play Dead or Alive 2. It is awesome. I wish we could have a Games Radar tournament. I wish we could have a big fighting game tournament. So we could all play it together. So can I so tell good. you my, my fun Dead or Alive 2 fact? Oh, yeah. So uh, so my boyfriend and I uh, got our Dreamcast together. We split it. You know, it was, it was a big couple purchase. And uh, we got it when we were still living in two different states. And he would come down and visit me once a month. And then I would go up and visit him the next month. And we would swap off the Dreamcast at the time. So the Dreamcast was like a big thing for us. And uh, so we had Soul Calibur, and we, we had a lot of fighting games for another amazing fighting game for Dreamcast. So good! That intro was real time. What? <laughs> oh my god! I just I just remember watching them doing just all making the Lizard Man do the Sophia pose is the best thing. I was yes. deadly with with Lizard Man, but anyway. But so uh, I was really really good at Soul Calibur, but he could beat me at Soul Calibur. Like it was he actually probably it was like seventy five thirty five. Uh, him in his favor with Soul Calibur. Mm. 
he could never beat me at Dead or Alive. Nice. Never. And it pissed him off so bad he stopped. He would not play it with me. The only, yeah, <laughs> he would only play fighting games yeah, if he could beat I love me. That. Losing yeah. to somebody in Dead or Alive is an immensely disheartening experience as I've encountered <laughs> playing against Ludwig. Oh because my God, that Dead or Alive, <laughs> especially at its sort of its peak with like Dead or Alive 2 when it was at its most pure, it's a very much a rock, paper, scissors kind of game. You have mm. atta- strikes, counters, grapples. One beats the other and they form a, a triangle. And so when you keep like, okay, I'm going to kick him this time. Oh, he countered it. Damn it. I'm going to throw him. Oh, he hit me. God <laughs> He's reading me like a book. <laughs> <laughs> Played you like a damn fiddle. He's playing us like a damn fiddle. <laughs> yeah. And I've like, been on... like, I love that that never feels cheap. Like, it never no. feels... No, it doesn't. It, it never feels like, oh, stupid. Characters are OP, dumb. Right. Like, <clears throat> you're always... You always feel in control. Even when, like, something there's, ridiculous... There's very... Happened. Especially in the beginning, there's very little... Like, like mechanics wise to separate you from the action you just have like three very simple commands that are easy to execute mm-hmm. anybody can do them and it's all just about trying to second guess and third guess what your opponent's going to do yeah well you know it's funny the only the only I, I, at least i think it's the only fighting game that i've ever reviewed is dead or alive 5 the original release of it mm-hmm. and when that sort of came out i was like someone else could have done the review and I, and I and i kind of had this second thought where i was like i didn't really know if i play fighting games deeply enough or play them often enough or have the vocabulary to actually review this game mm-hmm. because you know I want to I want to try to speak about it in an intelligent accessible way right. but I'm not really You want to sure. be talking frame advantage. <laughs> See like that's the, well that's one aspect of it. But you know like trying to figure out whether or not a fighting game is good or not seems much more difficult compared to other kinds of games because they're they're just like you know it's easy to pull out components that you can analyze for other games, whereas in fighting games, it's very much about: is it you? How, is it a balanced game? Are the characters interesting? Do they appear interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, are the moves easy to learn? Is there like a f- good fundamental system behind all this? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a very like it's a, you have to go deep into specific mm-hmm. mechanics. Yeah, exactly. And how these things all work together, and, and then try to look into the crystal ball and see like, are these things well balanced? Are they going to be well balanced six yeah, months from now? Precisely. And, and uh, the thing with Dead or Alive, which has always made it my fighting fight, my my favorite fighting game, is a lot of that stuff feels completely instinctual in that game. It feels reflexive, mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. and you can kind of read the animations uh, to a point where it's almost like you're playing on an instinctual level. It's like a very guttural guttural reaction mm-hmm. while you're playing it, and I kind of left that review concluding that the way I think of the game when I'm playing it is that each character is essentially a totem pole with boobs. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> of course. Of course. And when when someone is attacking you, you're reading that totem pole and you're splitting it into three levels. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, high, mid, and low. And each of those levels can be counted. Mm-hmm. And so that's like the readability and the language of that game, which I think makes it so easy to pick up and play mm-hmm. because you can just see when there's an opportunity to do something. Like you can see someone is, their their arm is moving. So that's going to be high. And like the way, because the game is so flamboyantly animated and so fluid and so quick to respond and so fast, um, the more you play it, there's an immediate sense of getting better at it. And I think that's true to a degree of a lot of fighting games, but I think it's the most explicit and Dead yeah. or Alive. It's, it's definitely sort of the straightest shot to get to that level right. because you have those sorts of... And I couldn't of, tell you combos at all. Like, I have right. no idea. I just know when I start playing as Christy, I'm like, 
I'm thinking about up and down. Like I see like this kind of like a graph, like mm-hmm. a like a roller coaster in my mind. Of like okay, I'm gonna go high and then I'm gonna go low, and my brain just kind of connects the dots beyond that. Like I never think of like you know two punches then a kick and then this leads into that and this creates a frame advantage and then I can juggle <laughs> yada yada. I don't think of it in those technical terms at all, which is why I enjoy it so much. It feels yeah, you very can, fluid mm. to the the path from like playing Dead or Alive to now having played a bunch of Dead or Alive 5 and Dead or Alive 5 last round over the past couple of years, they don't feel dramatically different from each other. It's not like when you play Soul Calibur 5, it feels like sort of junked up compared to something like that that original Soul Calibur on Dreamcast or Mm -hmm, Soul Calibur mm -hmm. 2. Or when you play, you know, something like Mortal Kombat X, like it does not feel like even remotely like the same game that you know, Mortal Kombat was, say, when Trilogy came out on N64 or Mortal Kombat Gold on Dreamcast or something like that. It's just a totally different game. Yeah, that's something that's unfortunately symptomatic of the fighting game genre being dominated by so many of these humongous legacy series that just keep getting one sequel after another. They all kind of hit their sweet spot in the middle of their lifespans. But damn it, we got to make another one. What if we had a, uh, what if we had a special punch you could do that uh, that stuns them or something? And then you can do another big combo after that. Like, well, we don't really need that. And then put it in there. We got to do something different. (laughs) So that things just keep getting added into them over and over and over. Um, And it makes it infinitely more complicated when they already kind of nailed it in the late nineties. In, that, in the case of Mortal Kombat, though, it healed Mortal Kombat when it was like, you know what? I think we stopped making this as disgusting as we wanted it to be. This needs to be grosser. What if you could see <laughs> yes. all of the gross things that are happening inside them? And that was mechanically interesting as well. Good call. Do it. Book it. Now let's do really complicated cutscenes. Because because why not? Because nobody else. Why not? Is doing we got that. you. Got to go somewhere. You got to. You got to go somewhere. You got to go somewhere. All of this is coming from Street Fighter, which is uh, turning twenty five. Yes. Soon, mm-hmm. yes. right? Um, and one of my favorite things that we did on the site, which you can check out at gamesero.com, is we have a generator. You press a button, and it generates a Street Fighter sequel name. <laughs> and it oh might boy, be a special edition. You know, it might be a spinoff. It's great. Um, so I think we should do. Let's do five titles right here, right now, okay. live. Right here, On right this now. recorded show. Do it. Yeah. Punch it. Punch the button. Keep in mind that half of the words that ended up going in here were from Max, Lucas, and I <laughs> just in there for like 45 minutes straight. <laughs> just putting in the stupid. Well, the first one I got is Street Fighter V People Legs XX. That was a pretty good version, the People Legs version. <laughs> Street Fighter V Prime Endless DLC. That sounds a little too close. To that, I know, that hits a little that's too like, close to home. That's that something that could actually happen. Next up, we have Street Fighter V Stern Strike Champions. You need to find that a really actually, long one. That, yeah. that could actually come out. Does that mean, is that mean being stricken in the Stern? I think Stern Strike Champions, that would be like the mobile tie-in game. Yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> oh, here we go. Oh, oh, here oh we wow. Go. <laughs> Street Fighter V Omega Survivor Home Salty Bet Ripoff Edition. <laughs> oh boy. I've tried, there's a lot to unpack here. Omega Survivor Home, which makes me think of PlayStation folding at home. Oh, oh right, God. right. 
But it's like a salty bet version of folding at home where you're watching and betting on proteins being folded. I'm not sure how that would work. <laughs> Wait, I got a good one. Is that, is that three one. or four? Oh, Susan got one. Oh, Susan got one. It's simple, mm. but elegant. Uh. Street Fighter V, mm. Zeta Identity Zeta. <laughs> Yay! Did you get the Zeta version? Did you get the Identity Zeta version of the Zeta version? Because there's the Identity Beta version of the Zeta version, and you don't want that version. The thing is, is that they don't, like, even at their most ridiculous, they don't sound that ridiculous. Like, like they could, they're believable. Yeah, they're always. Because these titles have been r- ridiculous in the past. Street Fighter V Ice Retrospective Regret. <laughs> Oh. Oh, that no, that sounds womp, like a card womp, game womp. spinoff. That's like that's that's one of the modifier. Wow. One of the modifiers in the engine is the is Itagaki's Phantom Edition, and that <laughs> one, anytime that one pops up, that one oh, it's my favorite. That's my favorite. It cracks uh, me up. I think I added that one actually. I think that's my, uh, Street Fighter Five Capcom Cross Slam: The New Class. Holy shit! That's this is perfect. a Space Jam Capcom fighting game crossover. That we've all been waiting for. Susan, do you have another one? Do you want to do you want to run mo- one uh, more by us? I'll do one more. I think you can. Okay, hold on. You can do it. I gotta bring it back. <laughs> I moved away from that window. Okay. Super Slam. Street Fighter Five Swoosh Horse Alpha. <laughs> that also works. <laughs> Although I feel like that's the kart racing game. Oh, here we go. Here we. <laughs> Street Fighter Five Boyfriend versus Master. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh man, who comes out of that one? I like it. Uh, will where, you boyfriend I, or will you master? Where can I pre-order this? Oh wait, yep. and then the companion <laughs> to that would be mm. Street Fighter Five Dance Sensei Girlfriend, the new <laughs> class. Oh man. <laughs> Did you get boyfriend edition or girlfriend edition? Exactly. You have to get both to get the child DLC. <laughs> oh my god, the ba- that'd be baby, be baby DLC. <laughs> I added in the new class into our, our language like roster for this, mm. and I am, it just yielded such positive results. I feel so good about it. <laughs> um, so I wanted to move over to a quick update on something that we touched on last week, and that was the fact that <clears throat> Lego Marvel Adventures, or is it Marvel's Lego Adventures? Don't even. Lego, the order. It changes Marvel, every Lego week. Lego Marvel's Adventures. Adventures. Yeah. The takeaway from that is it sucked. Yes. Mm. Susan reviewed it. She did not like it. But almost as if in response, we got an announcement that the next LEGO game is LEGO Star Wars The Force Awakens. So don't even worry about no Avengers whatever. <laughs> Old news. Don't even. Is, we got a new LEGO. This is the universe going, okay, look, Susan. We, we know we kind of screwed you on that Avengers thing. We know. <laughs> so we're going to do you solid. We're going to put out LEGO Star Wars The Force Awakens. But... Here's an interesting question. So, okay, first of all, if you haven't seen the trailer, do look it up on uh, gamesradar.com, my favorite site on the internet, um, mm. and watch the trailer because it's just, it's r- hilarious. It's really adorable, and it does that thing that the Legos, Lego games do so well, which is portray the movie or TV show that they're, uh, uh, they're based on, but adding in their own sense of humor. To make it, you know, very sweet and and very family friendly without dumbing it down, right? It stays very, very true to the source material. So it looks great. But here's what's interesting. So the other Lego compilations are compilations of many movies. 
Mm-hmm. Like the other Star Wars was like the original trilogy, and then you know Indiana Jones was all those movies. Uh, the Avengers is a is an amalgam of the two Avengers movies and and like Captain America and stuff. And there was a Star Wars prequel trilogy mm-hmm. edition as well. I think somewhere along the way. Harry Potter. It's it's yeah. mm-hmm. you know divides their the movies in half. And this is just The Force Awakens. So what I'm wondering is if this is kind of going to be episodic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Force Awakens will come out and then whatever 8 is called comes out. I wonder if they're going to do one for uh, Rogue One. Is Rogue One? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's called Rogue One, the mo- a Star the movie Wars story. The, the movie about them stealing the plans. So like, I think it would be really interesting. I don't think they'll do this, but it would be really interesting if it was a downloadable title, you know, kind of like a Tales from the Borderlands. And then you bought the season pass, and then whenever mm. the next movie came out, you automatically got the Lego game that came with it. Or That would be cool. That would be a lot of synergy. <laughs> a lot of synergy. That doesn't Do you think that would be they would that would be perceived as being too complicated for I like do. parents buying this for their children. Absolutely. Like, wait, I buy the game and then I gotta get a code and yes. download a thing. Like, that's too much. Absolutely, I think that would. I, I don't think that makes sense for uh, the mainstream consumers at all. Okay, but yeah. it's just uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out because Lego games are as long as they are because they're based on three or four movies. Yeah. Right. So if this is appropriately priced, it could just be. One part of the inevitable collection a couple right. of years down the line. Right, like it, it could be like twenty bucks. It doesn't. It uh, you know it just doesn't sound like Warner Brothers though. Like I I love that idea. I love the idea of getting a Lego Star Wars game that's sort of like modular. Yeah. Because how how cool is that? How and how appropriate for. For Legos, like you mm-hmm. know, like oh, you add on to it, you add on to it, you get another. <laughs> You're set. building onto it. <laughs> yeah. Hey now, synergy. <laughs> Ludwig, Ludwig and I were actually at the very first public presentation for Lego Dimensions, and the guy from uh, Traveler's Tales came out, like the guy that made the original, that directed the original Lego Star Wars game, and he literally <clears> said. It has been my dream for eight years to make a game with this many brands in it. Oh my it god! Like, Stop it! No, I love no. brands. Hashtag brands. Uh, but but I, like Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers loves money too much, mm. and the way they love money is like, see, so they they'll release the physical copy, then they release a bunch of add-on stuff, then they release the next physical copy. So like like Mortal Kombat XL that's coming out. So there was like the season pass, and then a year after release, there's the next one. So, so I can imagine a situation where so Force Awake Lego Force Awakens is out in June, right? And yeah, I think Rogue so, yeah. One is yes. December. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then so Episode Eight is the next year, December. The next December. So yeah. imagine, like I I think we we could see a situation where it's just like. Here's Lego Star Wars. It's $40. And you buy this now and you enjoy all that hot, blocky Poe Doraemon action. Yes. And then in December, <clears throat> there's a big $20 Rogue One update. And mm. then next year, you can buy the $60 version of Lego Lego Star Wars, Lego Star Wars episodes 7 and 8. And you get all of that Rogue One and Seven stuff packed together. So, like, sort of like that. But, I like, 
maybe maybe it'll just make it more fleshed out, Susan. Maybe they'll like like drag out one movie longer, which I almost think I would like to see rather I, than I, you know. I don't. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I certainly didn't feel. Like, because I just uh, also played through uh, Lego Jurassic World, which does all four Jurassic Park movies. And I didn't feel like any of the movies got shortchanged. Hmm. I didn't feel like, wow, why didn't I get to see such and such scene? Right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. That that maybe just go more in-depth with Force, Force Awakens. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I, I will be very curious to see how it works out. It certainly is weird to see these various companies who are sharing sort of this big central property trying to figure out how each one of them can put out a product because yeah. uh, WB has Lego Dimensions, which seems like it would be perfect for Star Wars, but you know they don't own Star Wars. That's Disney, which is using it for Disney Infinity, which is a different competing figure line. But WB can still make a traditional Lego game based on Star Wars. It just can't use the figures to tie in with it. This is, this is like How when awkward. the... It's a three-way standoff. They all got revolvers <laughs> pointed at each other. It's like when... Whoever uh, wins, uh, the consumer loses. The Lord of the Rings license. Like, one company had the book license. <clears throat> and then yes. exactly. The mm-hmm. company had the movie license. That was awesome. Yeah, Sierra's, Sierra's super weird uh, Fellowship of the Ring game for the original Xbox based mm-hmm. on the book. Mm-hmm. With that hot Tom Bombadil action. Oh, <laughs> Being Bombadillo. Uh, so, Anthony, I did want to corroborate your story from earlier on. I actually still have my notes from that very event. I just pulled them up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, apropos of nothing, they're right below a note that I made, which just says, press X to eat maggots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need to remember this later. Max. Which is Mad Max. Mad yeah. Max. <laughs> oh. The good. How, how to tell whether notes were made at a video game event. That's a, that's a pretty clear one. Um, but the name you were thinking of is John Burton. Uh, John Burton. And he says, yes. uh, the games I've been working toward for the past eight years, I've always felt that's really in the DNA of LEGO. This is something we've been working on for ages. And it is going to be a formation of world-class licenses all mashed together for an experience for the consumer. Stop it. Stop. Can right? I get that printed on a t-shirt? <laughs> I just want to, like, to picture yourself in this moment where they have this man who is a really big deal for Telltale, or for, for not for Telltale, um, Traveler Traveler's Tales. Tales. Yes. TT yeah. Games now. Did you know that they made Sonic R for... for I did know seven? that. I knew. I know it very, very well. Made a Sonic racing game. Uh, really weird to think racing about. Racing adventure game. Uh-huh. Um, and he God, came out and was like, thinking. just how he built this up and is like, this is our passion. We love this. I've been working on this. This is like the thing that drives me. And then he said like the most corporate thing that you've ever heard in your entire life. Mm-hmm. He like, and he yeah. hit it all. He had like properties, brands, consumer. <laughs> he got caught yeah. up in that corporate euphoria and it just, it had to come out. It was just like, a, it's the sound of a whoopee cushion. I don't mind. mean, I don't mean to talk too much shit too, because like the guys that did make Lego Dimensions, that team at Traveler's Tales, do freaking love oh absolutely like but it's just like appropriating that kind of language felt it's the worst false it's the worst like it's It's just like just say what you mean don't don't like just because wb told you to say it right (laughs) i i feel very passionate about this game I think players will be really engaged with the brands that are featured <laughs> in this 
awesome new video game, which is really just a compilation of cool, usable features. <laughs> Consumers. Oh. Uh, hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but hey, we create content to be consumed on our website. So. That's true, we do. That's we don't true. talk about it like that. We have a, yeah. we have a brand. <laughs> we do have, well, yeah. Actually, <laughs> we use, wait, wait, sometimes whoa, 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 whoa. we even use hashtags. You guys haven't been to to watch our new stream, the GR Plus Brand Synergy Hour, where we talk, I love it. We talk about content dynamics. Okay, and, and we talk about get it. You, you know what? We've got a lot of verticals. Oh my god! We gotta god, get we it. gotta get them aligned. Stop we it. gotta get them stop. aligned. Here's the thing. That's right. I need you to stop this for two reasons. <laughs> One is that it's not going to be interesting to our listeners because they're like, why are you saying these words? I don't think they mean what you think they mean. Two, you are killing my soul. Yeah, bleat, soul bleeding. Every single one of those words just chips away a little bit more at my soul. We must laugh to keep from crying. (laughs) Susan, Susan, let me tell you about another game that I played this week that I think is going to be so good for your soul. And I cannot wait for you to play it. Oh, this this is, I know what this is. Yeah, so Ludwig has talked about it on the show already, but last night I played Oxenfree finally. And when I say I played Oxenfree, I meant I turned on Oxenfree and then didn't stop playing Oxenfree until there was no more Oxenfree. Now, how, how long a game is it? It, is, it will take you, uh, I would say it's not long. It's about four it's, hours. It's like, I would say it's closer to six, depending okay, yeah. on... What Depending, you yeah. do and what you decide okay. at some points in the game. Okay. Depending on what you do. I, you you could finish it in three, but I would say you were doing it wrong if you did. And well, now t- I, tell me, and forgive me if we've, if we've already done this on the podcast, listeners, but could, tell me what it's about, because the name so doesn't help. That's, that's <laughs> a tricky question. That's a very tricky question. I know, question, it's tough to explain, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's funny, because <clears throat> Ludwig has been trying to sell me on this game for a month, and every single time he has talked about it, it was it, like it's in one ear and out the other. Like I can't keep the sense of what it is. Most simply is uh, imagine a sort of point and click adventure in the style of Maniac Mansion. Okay. But with all of the complex puzzles stripped entirely out. Now, what remains is just sort of slow exploration of an island. It's two characters together at all times. There are five characters total. Very strange things are happening on this island. And the conversation system is very similar to what you see in Life is Strange and Until Dawn and mm. the many, many powerful works of David Cage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But That's I true. would say that it is more natural and better written than all of those examples. Okay. The, it, it, the dialogue in this game is, like, it, like calling it realistic doesn't, doesn't get it. it. It captures the feeling of a really great, great movie that would just be, like, repeatedly played on TBS on a Sunday Sunday morning. Okay. Like, just, just dialogue between teenagers, teenage characters that you never question its authenticity, even though it's a little bit movie-ish. 
And man, it, it's just it's just a spectacular ghost story. And so it, like, it's it's John Hughes movie, the video game. It is it is one crazy summer filtered through Are You Afraid of the Dark? I'm in. And I, like and to say any more about it, it would be to like it would do a disservice to the actual act of playing it. Okay. It's super surreal. It is super um, surreal. And I think that applies to the dialogue. I don't think you would ever believe that to be realistic right, dialogue. Right, right, right. But it's realistic for the framework of the film mm-hmm. and it's entertaining and mm-hmm. it's definitely good. Yeah. And it's well acted. Like it's it's um I, I would say it's similar in style, not in not in terms of tone. It's not similar in terms of tone or intent, but it's similar in style to something like maybe a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Maybe a Gilmore Girls. Also accurate. In the sense that it's rapid fire and like very witty and entertaining, but not not Real. But not like, like a, it's it's never like Juno, where oh like, thank God yeah right like right like and that's something that's something like and I'm not saying it's bad I am not saying it's a bad game I'm not because I think that the guys who made it are great but I think life is strange a lot of people play that and they hear the way that people talk and they're immediately thrown out of it because their their banter especially in the first two episodes doesn't it's it's a little put upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's. I would go as far as to say that it's hella put upon, uh, um, in the parlance of that game. Uh, yeah, like it's it's very hard to describe Oxenfree's tone. Like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, sorta, but even then, like nobody's that clever. In fact, part of why it works is that everybody's reactions are are a little subdued, where they look at each other and they're like, yeah, I. I guess this is what's happening. I guess we have to do this. Like, where are we? What are our choices? It's it's great. It's great, and it's beautiful. Like it's it's like the the visual fidelity. Like playing this in motion, you just do not get a proper sense of it from screenshots. It like screenshots just don't do it justice. It looks like if you got freaking Ralph Bakshi. To you know, make a cartoon version of Sword and Sorcery EP, that Super Brothers iOS game from a few years ago, like it's just freaking wild, man. It's also just a really interesting choice. Like the the, ca- the camera, as it were, is super zoomed out, and the characters all appear very small, yeah, like kind of swallowed up in the environment. But that also means that you don't really criticize their animations or anything like that. It's just like you. You just buy the game. It feels like I think this is one of those games where visually it's just timeless. Like it'll never age, yeah. ever. Yeah, and like they and just nailed it. Man, it's just and it's a really cool story, and the decisions are really interesting. Really interesting, really interesting. And like to to, to frame it like that is too like like you're always <laughs> whenever you play like a game like like Until Dawn. Until Dawn is awesome because like its decisions are so big. Like, every single thing you do is like, that person's going to remember that, and whoop, now they're drowning. Like, you know, it, it's it's so outside. <laughs> Actually, every decision in that game ends with, whoop, now they're drowning. <laughs> now they're drowning. <laughs> now they're drowning. <laughs> now they're drowning. Now they're, now and the- she's drowning, and he's drowning, and she's drowning. Everybody gets glass in their butt in that game, too. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> has what? got a real glassy butt. That it's got a real case of glassy butt. What are you talking about? Susan, like, 
five people get pulled through windows butt first. Oh, that's <laughs> like, true. Like, yeah. Not yeah. one, not yeah, two. Not the it's candy glass, cast. though. It's okay. Uh, it's candy movie glass. You're not wrong. It's absolutely true. It's okay. Yeah. But yeah, you're like, uh, Oxenfree, Oxenfree is the best thing that I've played on my Xbox One in the <clears> past, uh, past four months that didn't involve Lara Croft. So I, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Too. What a soundtrack, too. Oh, oh man. I didn't want to... I feel like my default state on this podcast is always be like, and the soundtrack kicks ass. But the soundtrack does kick ass. It's just, it's very good. It's very, very good. Susan, do you want to throw in a change of pace from that? Because I know you've been playing something that you really enjoy. Yes. And it is kind of an adventure game as it well. Is, it is. It is a, uh, yeah. It's a classic point-and-click adventure game. It's called Rusty Lake Hotel. Uh, it's for iOS or Android or your desktop. And it is... So here's the premise. <clears throat> you work at the Rusty Lake Hotel. And you work for Mr. Owl, who owns the hotel. He is, in fact, an owl. All of your guests... Is he going to help you get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? <laughs> I did it. I did it. All of the guests of the hotel are also animals. There's Mr. Deer, there's Mr. Boar, uh, there's Ms. Pigeon. And your goal is to kill one of them every night, cook them for dinner, and serve <laughs> them to the other guests. This sounds like this is some kind this is some nine persons, nine hours, nine doors business it, right here. This it, is some zero escape nonsense. It is okay. It is far more whimsical than Zero Escape. Basically, what you do is you go up to uh, their hotel room, and each of their hotel rooms is an escape room-style puzzle. Once you're in the room, you are locked in the room until you figure out how to kill them. And Zero Escape. So there's, uh, you know, there there will be a number of puzzles that you have to solve in each room, and they all lead toward this the, the final thing, which is killing them. But what's interesting and what's really fun is that each recipe has three ingredients. The main ingredient is, of course, the guest. And then there's two <laughs> optional ingredients. That's what you, to, to, in order to get three stars, you need to find all three ingredients. I've only done that for one of them. I don't wow. know where these other ingredients are. I don't know what you have to do to find them. But uh, it, it, so it's very challenging. The puzzles are very good. The voice acting, Mr. Owl just kills it. He's amazing. He's so good. And it's got this wonderful Edward Gorey style uh, or Edward Gorey reminiscent artwork to it. Uh, so it's very, very macabre, but it's very whimsical. Yeah, okay, fine. You're electrocuting birds, but <laughs> it's not grim or gruesome. It's It's all very uh, delightful really and <laughs> spooky and creepy and weird and it's only two bucks so i highly highly recommend picking that one up man susan that like the edward gorian nature of it like the best thing in edward gory to me is the faces yeah like that sort of that blank eyed dim-witted a gasp look that every character has. And when you sent me the trailer for Rusty Lake, I was like, I'm sold. They all yeah, have that look right. on their face. It's a bunch of animals with that look on their face. The thing what I love it, to do with it. All like all the guests are complete jerks. <laughs> so yeah, you are doing really horrible things to them. 
but you're not going to feel all that bad about it because they yeah, are you're totally cool with it. dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to imagine that the person whose room you're solving is in the room with you and they're like, could you please, could you stop? Could you just, oh, oh don't put that over there. Don't solve the puzzle. <laughs> oh, they are. They're all in the room. They're watching you and making demands. Oh, good. Yeah. Like, like the Mr. Deer, for example, who is the first uh, guest that you visit. Sure. He would like a Bloody Mary. Okay. So you're, that's what you have to do. Sure, you a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Hey, of course, you use his own blood in it, but mm. I mean that's just you know an aesthetic thing. It's it, it's really good. What else so, is this? Just it, what? Where can people play that? Uh, iOS, just... Android, or um, Steam? Oh, you can play it on Steam. All right. I believe so. It's yes. not just yeah. It's not just iOS. That's no, awesome. no, no, no. Maxwell, have you been playing anything, especially as it pertains to what seems to be a resurgence in adventure games and puzzle games on this show? I played XCOM 2. Okay, so you make interesting decisions in that game. (laughs) And if you get the wrong ones, you die. Yeah, there are consequences. There's also also dialogue. People do talk. Um, (laughs) And yeah, there are weighty choices. Totally an adventure game. Uh, Yeah, I, I did the review for... XCOM 2, that was pretty much my entire last weekend, and I uh, had a hell of a time with it. Ask me some questions about it. All right, what did you, uh, what did you come away with that? Like, do you, you, you finished the game-ish. Mm-hmm. Is it finishable? Is there a story? It is finishable. Is it... there's, a, there's a story mode. Okay, you get so to you... the end, you stop the bad man. <clears throat> do you think it put you through the same kind of ringer that the first game does? <sighs> Not... Entirely. The first game, since we hadn't seen XCOM in so long, mm-hmm. when that game came around, it was sort of, and it was gonna, we knew it was gonna be different from the original XCOM, so we didn't really know entirely what to expect. Uh, XCOM 2 feels, is very much mechanically the same as Enemy Unknown and Enemy Within, but as I described early on in a, a preview I wrote for it, it feels very much like Enemy Within, but with just millions of mods enabled. The, the the density of tools and weapons and things you have at your disposal is so far and beyond greater in this game than it was in Enemy Within that it it can in my first playthrough I very easily worked myself into a corner early on because all I wanted to do was I want to get the fire bullets those look like fun <laughs> I'm gonna pour all of my money into fire bullets research um, and then in the middle of the game I was like well you don't have any science or any power <laughs> and your troops are all crippled and you don't have any kind of medical <laughs> but damn it, I got those fire bullets. They were pretty Can sweet. Can fire bullets win a war? God, not by themselves, no. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, don't. That, that was something I also mentioned in the views. Like, don't let that happen to you. Like, there is a lot of fun new tools, but make sure you have the fundamentals in place before you start playing with the new stuff. That's just good advice for any commander. That's good life advice. Yeah, it's good life advice. And there's a ton of new aliens, of course. They all have different powers and abilities. That was one of the things I really liked about this game over Enemy Within, because in Enemy Within and uh, Enemy Unknown, you sort of went through this progression where there's uh, like there's one type of enemy early on called the Muton, and he's this big, green, brutish alien with a gun. And then later on, you meet the Muton Elite, and he's a red, brutish alien with a bigger gun. Then <laughs> um, you can kind of apply the same strategy to both types, but here, there really aren't those sort of copycat aliens. Like, each alien you meet... Uh, uh, has its own special quirks and powers and abilities, and sometimes aliens can uh, use their powers on other aliens and form little interesting combos and things. So sort of learning the ins and outs of all the different aliens and being able to identify, okay, 
in this pack of like six radically different creatures, like which one is going to be the most threatening and which one's going to be the least threatening. Mm-hmm. Like learning all that is a, a very fun and interesting challenge. Did you ever play a Hard West at all? Did you get a chance to try that out? The, it was kind of like XCOM in the Wild Wild West. Right, right, right. Yes, the name is definitely familiar, but no, I never, I never did get a chance um, to play. I think a game like that is interesting because I, I, I typically am not that into turn-based strategy games, but I played Hard West um, and I really enjoyed it. And I think that is, that's the kind of game that is almost directly inspired by not just the original XCOM, but the return of XCOM right. with Enemy Unknown, like bringing that back and like, you know upping the presentation and sort of raising the stakes and sort of luring people in with the fact that a couple of important tactical decisions <laughs> can be the, the difference between life and death. Yes. Right? So that, I think, I feel like all of that is coming flooding back. But it still seems like a very PC-centric domain. And in fact, XCOM 2 is only on PC right now. It is only on PC right Do now. Do you have any theories as to why that is? Like, did you play anything in this game that that made it seem like, oh, I can see why... This I mean, be the best for console enemy within an enemy unknown, like the simplicity of what you were doing and the interface and just sort of the way the game was laid out. I felt, I mean, just naturally in the fact that you play on a grid, all that just sort of naturally lent itself to using, you know, a thumbstick or just using gesture controls. This game, while it is still played on a grid, like it's just infinitely more complicated. There's just more, there's just stuff all over the UI, not the AI, the UI that you have to keep up with and just everything you can do on an individual turn. Like, you you need to have a mouse cursor, basically. You need to have a mouse and keyboard just Mm -hmm. to deal with the sheer volume of uh, inputs you can make, which I think is probably the main reason why. Yeah, I think there's there's a concern for people who play games like that on PC that that the the changes that you make to accommodate a different kind of audience on console Mm -hmm. is sort of limiting the depth of the game on PC if it were just PC. Right. Um, I've, I'm sure that people said about the same thing with uh, w- with something like Halo Wars 2, which is coming to Xbox and PC. Like, now there's this expectation that, well, because it's being made for Xbox as well, right. certain, certain decisions... Certain are compromises will have to be and made. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think being accessible is in some ways good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you you run the risk of making a game for everyone and then it kind of pleases no one. Right, right That can right. happen too. Um do you think there's any hope for, for a console version? Or would it have to be significantly overhauled to the point of maybe calling it something else? Yeah, you would definitely... There would need to be either significant restructuring of like how the game's presented and what you can do, or you'd have to have something like the Steam controller mm-hmm. on console mm-hmm. and, or, and then just bring it over as is. Um, but yeah, I don't think... I think, yeah, something pretty drastic would need to happen to XCOM 2 before it comes out on consoles. I don't think they could just bring it straight over to consoles in the form that, is it, that it's in now, or I'm sure they would have done that in a heartbeat. Max, this is like, you know, I know you've gotten to talk to uh, the team at Firaxis uh, mm-hmm. that, that made this. Have they talked about... It just seems so strange to me that <clears throat> they, they did so much hard work to bring the XCOM series back and make it crazy popular. Like, Mm -hmm. Enemy Unknown, I mean, by the end of 2013, and that game had been on shelves for a year, you could buy a vacuum cleaner that would play XCOM Enemy (laughs) Unknown. Like, they they had spread it across the land, and, you know, the expansion kicked ass, and and so on and so forth. Yeah, it was available on everything. Everything. And, And all of them are great. Like, they built a game that felt as good 
on an iPad as it did on a PC as it did with an Xbox 360 controller. Mm-hmm. And I just I like have they talked about why they would roll back from that sort of trying to make this franchise ubiquitous into something that is so PC centric. Well, I, I cannot speak for the Fraxis team, nor have I asked them about that directly. However, based on my experience with the game, I think we're running into a situation like what we were seeing in our discussion about fighting games earlier, where in developing XCOM 2, you got, we got to have something new in there. Right. Um, we got to give... And what people really liked, there was a mod called uh, the Long War mod for XCOM Enemy Within, an enemy unknown, and it added a lot of the same types of things you're seeing in XCOM 2, different grenade types, different ammo types, you know, different classes, different aliens, um, and a lot of people, like, really liked the Long War mod, and that was the only way they played it, um, so it seems like they definitely wanted to capture some of that kind of material and sort of flesh XCOM 2 out in that way, but in doing so, and in making the game so dense and so complicated, like, it's it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, the game, I find the game more enjoyable because of the added complexity, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely more, now it's more of a PC turn-based strategy game, whereas I would say XCOM Enemy Unknown was more of like a board game that you could play on PC. It felt very, like, very just clear-cut, simple mechanics yeah. um, <clears throat> that... And because of that simplicity, it was able to travel to all those different platforms. I mean, that sounds like a good reason to check out the sequel. It sounds like it's a good, well-fleshed-out sequel. It's like it's a fantastic follow-up to Enemy Unknown, but at the same time, like it also kind of shoots itself in the foot because it's so complicated. Right. I mean, I think I think that's that's part of what was the the behind that choice, right? Like, it's like we can make a game that is in our minds much better if we stick to this one platform. And then you mix in things like, well, maybe I'm sure that the PC version of XCOM Enemy Unknown was the best seller, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. like you're catering, you're, you're making the decision to make the game the best that you think it would yeah. be for the largest audience. Like that doesn't sound like a wild, you know, yeah. un, right. unexplainable decision, but you do, you do, you do miss out on, on, on the console audience. I'm, I'm sure that there may be another game in the series for console audiences later on, maybe yeah. more more like uh, Enemy Unknown, right. maybe some kind of other spinoff or something like that. Uh, maybe even a, a, a remastered version. I mean, you of saw something like that, like with uh, Civilization Revolution, right? Exactly. Uh, also from Firaxis. Um But but Anthony, the, to to your point, that you're. It's not even just XCOM that was on everything. It was all 2K games were briefly yeah, on everything. Yeah, that's ever. true. Like, like I'm, I'm sure that exactly like that information, like those. I, I don't know if I could call them experiments, but they certainly released those products on it. Just about everything. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that is also a part of the decision to not, maybe just not bother. Like I don't know how well Bioshock, for instance, did on iOS, but it was released. It was a thing you could play it with a touchscreen, and as far as I know, it's no longer available. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it just didn't work. Yeah, like it just maybe they just didn't like I, the outcome, or like maybe the the developmental resources for that stuff just wasn't worth it anymore. Yeah, do you think? Do you think? I don't want to, again. Like we can't peer into the minds of Firaxis, but do you think maybe <clears throat> they like after like the runaway success of Enemy Unknown, they were like, "I got a big idea. We're gonna change up XCOM two. We're gonna put in Snake guys." Wait, what, what if we uh, what if we uh, we had snake people? 
How about people? What are people scared of? Snakes. snakes. Number one. But what about guys? They're also scared of guys. What if we got snake guys? And then, like, they were six months into development, they were like, guys, we got to add something besides these snake guys. <laughs> wait, wait, that's, that's, the only, that's, that's the only idea you guys have come up with, the snake I thought that was just, like, a launching point for the... But you're starting and ending with snake guys. Yeah, we, we, we thought... Well, you know, the original design doc said, what if, what if enemy ex- unknown... Wait, what if what? enemy unknown... Plus snake guys. That was going to be the, the whole thing. It was just enemy with snakes. I don't I think, see what the big deal is. We got to take it back to formula, everybody. But then they were like, in order to fix the snake guys problem, they went too far. And they were like, guys, this has got to be PC only. This is too complicated. It's too much. These snakes are getting too complicated. You can't do this. But you still, Let me tell you, those, you those snake, snake people guys. are a real son of a bitch. Are they? I, Let me just tell you that those, they're not—they are not messing around early on. <laughs> they are just the worst because they what they do—they have creepy snake tongues and they'll—they'll they'll reach out and they'll—they'll they'll grab your dudes with their snake tongues and they'll pull them over to themselves and then they'll just start choking them. Awesome. That's it's awesome. the worst. They're the worst. Yeah, I, I fully admit that. Like when they announced XCOM two. And they were, they were like, XCOM 2. I was like, yes! And they were like, PC only, because we're going Ooh. hardcore. I was like, no. And then I saw a screenshot where it's like, Snake Guys. And I was like, oh. <laughs> well, I'm interested in that. <laughs> you lost me there for a second, but now you brought me back I'm around. Back in, because you got them Snake Guys. I'm you can always the- play a game based on the animated uh, Conan the Barbarian show. Wait, that what? has snake eyes. That has oh snake my God. eyes. Yeah. Wait, like wait, 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 wait. Stop, stop. Star metal to reveal. Stop. Stop <laughs> it. There's an animated the n- version of Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, yes. It, it was came out after Conan the Destroyer. It's so it really has, good. It has cartoon Chaka Khan. I don't even it's, I don't even know what to do with this information. I just Okay, so the story is there are snake people among us, and they can disguise themselves like humans. But when they're exposed, this is to exactly star what metal, happens in the XCOM universe. When they're by exposed the way. to star metal, which is metal that came from a meteorite shower. Uh, their true form is revealed, and Conan's sword is made from oh, star metal. Oh, I get it. Wow. So when he gets close, he can sh- he reveals them. Uh, I think his his family is also turned to stone at the beginning of the the show. So that's his quest. He's trying to undo the curse. Oh, they got like a Medusa thing going on. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's actually pretty good. Uh, he had an annoying phoenix living in his shield. Sure. Yeah. I love pomegranates. Yep. That's a, that's one of the items you can research. <clears throat> so it's late um, it's late at night at Firaxis in about yeah. like early <laughs> oh, 2014. Take us take us back. Take Someone's us there. going through the YouTube and, rabbit hole. And they're they're all just like sitting there. They're a little they're exhausted. They can't yep. quite figure out what to do with XCOM 2. And one guy's like, "Did you ever watch that Conan?" Conan? <laughs> what, the one with the snakes? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, the one with the snake guys. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I see where you're going with this. Oh, I boy. got it. Send a, send a telegram to Johnny2K Games. That's how it happened because in XCOM, Anthony, you remember this, in XCOM Enemy Unknown, you, you had to fight the thin men, who were the oh, tall, yes. angular yeah. men right. in blue suits, and they sort of had reptilian features if you if you looked at them closely. It is revealed in XCOM 2 very early on uh, oh. that uh, the thin men 
uh, are are the same species as the snake people you see in the game. The snake people are the true form of see, the Because you already man. know an enemy. You need an unknown enemy for each new XCOM That's game. Right. It has to be a surprise. Enemy unknown. Uh, All right, wait, wait, let's, wait, let's, wait. I just, oh. okay, wait. Are we still on Conan? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm back <laughs> on how snake people use guns. Snakes? Well, snake guys have guy parts. All right, well, the snake the snake people, it's a, it's a half- Person half snake. It's it's oh, person on top, snake oh, on bottom. Oh oh oh! It's so they have people eyes. arms, and then they have sort of like viper heads, gotcha. viper snake heads, and then people arms and torso, and then snake snake uh, legs. Hey hey guys, uh, what uh, Harry Potter house are uh, they sorted uh, into? Uh, 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 it's Gryffindor. Uh, I mean Slytherin. Oh, it's Snuff, Snufflepuff. Oh god damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Snufflepuff. Snufflepuff. <laughs> oh my God. Snufflepuff. Snuffle you have a real, you have a real bad time if the hat puts you at Snufflepuff. <laughs> you don't know where to go. You don't know where to go. And nobody ever, like, nobody will ever correct it. They're just like, well, you're at Snufflepuff house. Go back to your common room. Be like, I don't know where that is. I don't want to be in house Snufflepuff. Do I go to Slytherin or do I go to Hufflepuff? That's what Man, happened. Gotta get to, sorted. That's what happened to the janitor, Filch. <laughs> That's that's why he hates everybody. Yeah, that's why he he's hates in Snufflepuff house. He got, he got it's just him and his cat. <laughs> You're a Snufflepuff, Harry. I have a joke that only Anthony will get, but it's a good one. <laughs> you should Do definitely it. say then, it on the podcast. Yeah, you should definitely. Because <laughs> Anthony very will be listening to it. Only if I can talk about vertical some more. Look, <laughs> the sorting hat is very, very old, okay? Right, And it right. doesn't remember its words, and so then it sorts you into Griffin Dunn. <laughs> See? He's the, he's the only one who'll get that. How you doing, Ludwig? It's good. I'm going to edit this part of the show out. Great. Nope, absolutely that not. Joke will be this is part um, of the show. I highly just, recommend X-Com Look, I'm just trying to get back to the, the, the whole story. point of the show, which is talk about new, exciting, relevant games. Mm-hmm. Right. So let me tell you, this week I went to Nintendo and I saw The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess HD, <laughs> which is almost a decade old. Okay, wait. Jesus. Are we all in agreement that that game is just too damn long? It's too damn long. <laughs> it is a Zelda game, so yes. It, well, <laughs> it, it is Zelda, but too much. Oh, it, no, because this is this is the one that started the too much thing. Because yeah, Wind Waker, you you can finish Wind the Waker in like twelve much. hours. And I remember, you know, so they they delayed uh, Twilight Princess a year. You know, it was all but done in the fall of two thousand five, and then they were like, no, we're going to push it back. We're going to give it extra polish. And it's going to be the biggest Zelda of all time. And the the Satoru Iwata quote was he was like, I was talking with Ayonuma-san and it takes half an hour to ride on Epona across the entirety of Hyrule Field. And everybody is so excited because it's going to be the biggest Zelda ever. And it's like, that's not a good idea. Yeah, no, that's not no, fun. That's not a good idea. But Twilight Princess does involve things like using stinky fish to get through a blizzard and then when you get through the blizzard you have to make hot soup with a yeti for his sick wife and that's awesome well yeah i'm not saying the game is bad there's a lot that the game <clears throat> does that i really really enjoy but there's but just, it is too long it's just too damn long there's just so long. like stop it i don't want to collect the bugs i don't want to collect this other thing i don't want just stop it 
I mean, yeah. I, I would say this one is. So I wanted to talk about whether or not it's still good, whether we remember correctly oh, it being good, because it is. It's now being updated for for you know its high definition. It's uh, the Wind Waker found some success in being revitalized for Wii U. A um, couple of key differences, though. Uh, they're making some changes to Twilight Princess HD in the same in the same kind of vein as the as Wind Waker in the sense that they're looking at what people complained about and a lot of people complained about Twilight Princess being too easy. So now there is a hero mode which. Uh, Let's you take double damage. Oh, wow. And if you tap the Ganondorf amiibo uh, onto the game, he will also make sure that you get double damage. So if you do that in hero mode, you get four times the damage when you get hit. Uh, so you could do something like that. In hero mode, uh, no hearts are dropped when you defeat enemies. So it, in, in lieu of not redesigning the enemy AI or anything like that, they're just you know making the punishments uh, stricter, which is fine, whatever. Um, it's it's running in HD, it's 1080p, it looks very clean, very sharp. However, I don't think the art of Twilight Princess, which skews more toward realism, uh, holds up as well. I don't think you can simply just do that and have it look better. I think in some ways it looks worse. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because like at least the, the cell shading with Wind Waker right. gave it a timeless yeah. quality, and they made small changes to... I mean. I think you could even argue that they made it look worse too yeah, in the Wii U version because did. the lighting isn't as flat anymore. It's like three-dimensional, semi-realistic lighting, which looks cool, but it doesn't make the cartoon appearance look as flat, yeah. which is what you want. It's very funny. They added in a lot of the haziness and like bloom lighting that was sort of the signature of Twilight Princess when it was on GameCube and Wii. Into which has now been reduced. Waker. Yeah, which has now been reduced in, in Twilight Princess into Wind Waker <laughs> in the HD remake. And it sort of makes, it muddies up what was such a pure clarity uh, of, of cartooniness. Yeah, so, the, I mean, if you, if you compare it to Nintendo's other output on Wii U, which looks phenomenal... Uh, yeah. I don't think the Twilight Princess HD holds up very well visually, but I still think it's it's a worthwhile game to play. It has some really cool dungeons and items, and you know it's it's got even a bad Zelda game is not the worst. Like you, you'll still probably much enjoy uh, playing it if you like adventures and you know uh, solving puzzles and that kind of thing. But I mean, are we overselling it a little bit? Like, is Twilight Princess really one of the better ones? Like, should they have done this one before Skyward Sword, for instance? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would say it's in my top 10 Zelda games, but that list also begins with Okami and Beyond Good and Evil. It doesn't even start. So that's that's my perspective on it. Man, so the, the, the tough thing is this, <clears throat> is that I you can see why they picked this and not Skyward Sword, because when we do get a re-release of Skyward Sword, they're going to overhaul that game in a very... And not just, like, speeding things up like they did with Wind Waker and Twilight Princess. They're going to make it so that you can play it without the Wii remote. Like, and, and that's possible. There, there are people that have made patches for the, you know, the Dolphin emulator that plays Wii and GameCube games. And there are people that have figured out ways to make Skyward Sword very playable with an Xbox 360 controller. And you sort of control uh, the sword for specific slashes with the right thumbstick. It's really cool. And so I, I think that they they needed something that they could do quick. And yeah, the, the context is also different, right? Like when Wind Waker HD came out, it seemed way cooler than it does now because now we're at the point where, number one, you still haven't brought out a new Zelda game. It's right. been years, right? So. Yeah. 
fine. Here's another stopgap. Also, it's for a console that's on its way out. Like, I mean, you can be excited by that for virtue of just playing the game again, but it does kind of put a dampener on things when it's like, well, here's this updated version of a 10-year-old game for a system that we're about to abandon. Enjoy! I mean, does, does that seem fair to say? I think so. Yeah, no, I, I think yeah. that's completely fair to say. I do also <coughs> think, I, I think that anyone, anyone that says the NX isn't going to be backwards compatible with the Wii U is crazy banana pants, because Nintendo has this stable of there aren't that many of them, but very high-quality games that have been made for the Wii U that have reached maybe half of their potential audience because yeah. nobody wanted to buy the box. And so to populate that NX first year, it's going to be, oh, look, it's a, it's a the Smash Brothers 4 with all the DLC on the disc and all of the Mario Kart with all the DLC on the disc. Like, Sometime we, we, we really need to talk about the accents that you use... <laughs> To it's the Demario accent. They're the ones oh, who put it on themselves. Oh, I'm aware. It's a the racist stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the accent actually gets more desperate the louder. <laughs> it's gonna be a good time on the NX. So you trust Demario. You know it's gonna be good. Uh, but like Twilight Princess, like like yes. Oh, it's out. Here's a new box, and it's yet one more Zelda game that you can have available for this machine if you so want it. It's actually kind of impressive how well some games on Wii U did, despite the fact that the system has sold something like 20 million-ish, if you're lucky. Like, on a good day, it sold 20 million. (laughs) Um, It's like I worked it out. It's something like 12% of the total Wii install base. That's where Wii U is at. Okay, but, 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 but. That's not a fair comparison. Because the Wii no. is a freak. Big sure, it's it's a hundred million cell. Yeah, I mean that's that's it's like it's on par with a PS2. And and, and it, it it moved that many uh, units for reasons other than <clears throat> traditional gaming. So sure, but if you are a company today, and, and all companies must show growth at all times, yeah, infinite growth true. forever. Mm-hmm. Not wrong. Going from that to the next one looks like it looks really bad. It, but um, you know, Mario Kart Eight sold. 14 million copies, I think. No, 7 million copies, sorry. 7 million is pretty darn good for an install base that small. Uh, Splatoon sold 4 million. That's really good for a new IP. So the games that are good are like, people know they're good. So I I totally agree with you, Anthony, that those games are, they're due for another round. Like a new Splatoon for NX at launch? Yes, obviously. Absolutely. With with everything, with all of the balances, everything right there in the release Mm -hmm. for you to have on day one. I, but I, I also think Twilight Princess is going to be the model for the next Zelda too. Yeah, like it's going to be there. There will yeah. be a Wii U version and an NX version. And I actually would go out on a limb and say that, like with Twilight Princess, the superior way to play that game will be on the Wii U and not the NX with its whatever whatever the fancy interplay is between the portable device and the home console thing. Uh, Yeah, but it'd have more graphics, way more graphics. Way more graphics. So, like, I... I, I, Have have you guys played both versions of Twilight Princess? Have you played the Wii version and the GameCube version, or am I the only loser? I've only played the Wii version. Uh, I've I've played through Twilight Princess three times in my life already. Why Uh, would you do such a thing? Because... 
So the fr- so the first time I played it, I was like everybody else, where I was like, that wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, I played it again, and I was like, wait a second, that's kind of good. And then in 2011, I decided I wanted to finally try the GameCube version before Skyward Sword came out. Found a cheap copy at it, of it at a uh, GameStop when they still had GameCube games and gave it a shot and realized, oh wait, people didn't like this game because not only did it have all this tedious crap in the beginning, but playing it while waggling your hand around ruins, ruins, ruins the pace of it. That's true. You don't realize how much it ruins the pace of it until it's gone. And when you're just sitting there with a controller, all of the things that make it seem even longer than it already is disappear and you can just sort of enjoy the way the game was naturally built interesting like all of yeah it, it's it's, well, it's so what goes away when you don't waggle when, when you when you don't waggle uh, yeah i mean the, this isn't just like i mean you're still gonna have to fight certain enemies and solve puzzles the same way yeah you're still gonna have to do all that but you don't you don't think about the the extra work your brain is doing when you have to sit there and all of a sudden, like, awkwardly reach to the top of the controller to switch your items to the bow and arrow and then mm. be pointing it at the screen. Mm. It, it, you know, it sounds on paper like those sorts of motion controls are going to be more naturalistic. That's what we all thought when the Wii was first announced, right? Like, oh, man, now that I can just do these things, it's going to feel so natural. Only it doesn't. Because it's like it, I'm holding Link's sword. Right. And, like, no, it doesn't doesn't feel like that and when you are you know when you have to just make smaller more subtle movements like just aiming the bow and arrow as simple a thing like that it takes much less time to do simple things you have a lot more precision and yeah i i i I fell in love with twilight princess when i played it five years ago and i'm very very excited to, it is a cool villain. I like the villain. A lot. Uh, yeah, Zant is a like the entire the entire <clears throat> world that it portrays is neat because uh, Hyrule sucks. Like it's the first time that we we've seen a place that like since Zelda two that's just outwardly miserable. You know, everybody in town's kind of a jerk. Uh, you live in this very secluded town in the middle of nowhere. And you have to you know, wrestle goats like the the idyllic Hyrule that you're you're sort of always presented with uh, in Ocarina of Time and other games is not here. Like it's it's a very creepy weird place. And Midna's a creepy weird character who's very easy to love. And yeah, Twilight Princess is neat. Uh, and the fact that you can now just press a button and turn into a wolf is. Nice. Without having to talk to her every time. Without, what? Without, God. Yes. Although the, the whole wolf aspect of that game is kind of undercooked. Yes. Yes, it is. And, I mean, there are a lot of things in Twilight Princess that demonstrate that the Nintendo of 10 years ago just hadn't gone into the outside world and looked at what other people are doing enough in a very long time. Like, the having to collect all the motes of light crap and... Ugh. Like, so, yeah. how would you recommend this to someone who has not played it before and thinks they might like Zelda, but, you know. So somebody who's never, ever played a Zelda game before? Uh, 
Let's say they've been out of circulation for like 10 years. They haven't played one. So they haven't, played, they haven't played a Zelda game since Twilight Princess came out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe I, they played Wind Waker HD. Yeah, maybe, maybe they played Wind Waker HD. It's a very different game than Wind Waker HD. And I would say uh, it is worth... It is a game that is very, very rewarding if you can get over the initial hump. But the initial hump is big. Like, it takes a good six hours for that game to get going. They have shortened it, though. They, uh, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell me how, but the order of things at the beginning of the game has changed. Oh, really? I'll be interested yes. to check that out. I'm uh, assuming it means, like, the different provinces that you go to at first. Yeah, I, but even then, like you know, you you have to you you have. There's an entire period of the game at the very beginning where you have to go. You have to catch a fish. You have to feed the fish to a cat. You've got to go and wrestle goats. If you don't wrestle goats, you can't. Is it Big the Cat? It's not Big the Cat. He does not need Froggy. Froggy is not present in Twilight Princess. But yeah, you don't you don't even get to the first dungeon for three hours in the original release. And, like, that's fine in a game like Persona 4, where you spend eight hours sort of building up all of these different relationships and stuff before the game really gets cooking. But, yeah, I I don't know. Rent it? Is that a thing? Can people rent games anymore? Yeah, of course rent? they can. Yes, they can. <laughs> <laughs> where do you rent a game? Redbox. <laughs> Redbox rents games. Redbox rents games? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, rent it. If, if you have a Redbox that has Wii U games in it, I would say give it a shot. <laughs>